0: Well, good morning. Uh, it's only appropriate that Doug the Greater, in leading his prayer, asked that um, you know we recognize God's presence through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think that was a direct reference to all the Dallas Cowboy fans uh, because there was a little of that. But it's it's just interesting that that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning is about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and how do we respond to that? And I want you to think for just a minute, just kind of let your mind wander, what do you do when things are going great? Obviously, there's going to be some of you who choose to celebrate and- celebration can manifest itself in many different forms. You can run around. You can throw up your arms. You can dance before the Lord with all your might. Or maybe you just sit there in silent victory. Maybe when things are going great, you double down and you try to work harder because you know that's what's going to keep you on the winning side. For some of you, When things are going great, you relax, you smile, and you enjoy it. And some of you maybe enjoy it a little too much. But maybe when things are going great, you become apathetic, or lazy, or entitled. Maybe you're more giving, or you're more thankful, or you're more kind. Some of you in victory act classy, and some of you choose to just rub it in. Like salt in an open wound. Some of you will fret over when or how it will all come crashing down. Again, I'm referring to you cowboy fans. Maybe maybe when things are going great, you take credit for all the good things that are going on. Or maybe you give credit to God for all His blessings. We all respond in different ways when things are going great and so it's no surprise that we all respond differently when we have the bad and the ugly and so now i want to ask you how do you respond when when things aren't going so great in fact when things are are really bad do you blame others for your circumstances or your misfortunes maybe you blame yourself maybe you God punishing you you are where you are and, and maybe you you blame God this is God's fault that I'm in this situation some of you become angry some of you become quiet many of you become professional researchers, or you start looking up on good what's going wrong or, or perhaps web md and you try to diagnose exactly what's going on if you could just get a grasp if you could have enough information you can figure this out some of you will throw a pity party others of you will ignore the situation maybe you call everyone to tell them your problem maybe you call no one for some of you when you have struggles in your life you become more and for other you are threatened of losing your faith and for some of you you might negotiate barter and beg with God asking him to remove that thorn from you well this is what we're going to get a lot of as we enter into Matthew chapter eight there's going to be three consecutive miracles that all have to do with the response of the individual the response of Jesus, and then the response response of Jesus. And so we're going to spend some time in there. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 8. As I mentioned, there's three different miracles that are going to take place. We're just going to focus on the first one that happens. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 8 verse 23, one that we're all very familiar with. But before we do that, it's important to what? Get the context of what's going on. So we're going to back up real quickly, and we're just going to start in Matthew chapter eight, verse one. We are going to have, we are going to be introduced uh, to a man who is a leper. And really, what quickly is going to happen is he's going to call Jesus Lord, and he says he believes that Jesus can heal him, but he asks if you are willing. And Jesus of I am willing, and immediately the man was healed. Now, the very next story, we're going to learn about a centurion. Now, what do we know about a centurion? Well, we know that he's an outsider, that he's not following Jesus uh, specifically, that he's a Gentile, and that he has a servant who is ill to the point that he is paralyzed. And I just love the story. Is that? that he only is going to state the facts of his situation and he's not actually going to ask for a miracle like we saw previously. So let's go. We're going to read. Go ahead and read Matthew chapter 8 starting in verse 5. I want to share this with you because there's going to be some comparison and contrasting that we're going to do in, in just a minute. So when Jesus had entered Capernaum A centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and is in terrible suffering. Now again, Matthew's going to say, well, he came asking for help, but we get no specific question. He just simply states the facts. Here's what's going on. And Jesus responds, I will go and heal him. And you would think this is the best news ever. But for the centurion... That's too much. It's too much to believe that Jesus should have to go to his house. Instead, listen to what he says. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have found not one in Israel with such great faith. I want to stop for just a second. I love the word that Matthew going to use. He's going to use the word astonished. That Jesus was astonished at this man's faith. Now what is really interesting about this word, this is the same Greek word that's used when people respond to Jesus. When Jesus teaches with authority, they are astonished. Another translation is they marvel at that. When they see the miracles of Jesus, they are astonished at His power. That same word that's used to describe the response that people have when they see Jesus, when they hear His teaching, when they see His power. This is the same word that Jesus has when He thinks of the faith of this centurion. He is marveled. He is astonished at this man's faith. And then he's going to say something that we don't necessarily catch, but for the listeners uh, who hear this for the first time around, Jesus, for for the, the readers of Matthew, this cuts deep. I have not seen faith like this anywhere in Israel How do people respond to Jesus For the centurion he has this amazing faith But how do we re- do we respond to Jesus when things aren't going well well, we're going to continue on uh, throughout the rest of, of Matthew real quickly as we look uh, beyond that. we see in chapter verse 14 excuse me, that Jesus is going to heal Peter's mother-in-law and then, and then in 16 and 17 we're going to get this overarching summary that he's casting out de- demons and he heals everyone who comes to him. And then finally, just before he asks the disciples to shove off shore, he's going to meet two more, and I'll call them potential uh, potential followers. The first one says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And notice what Jesus, how he responds to him. He doesn't say, that's great. He doesn't say, join in. He warns him. He gives out a, a, a cautionary note. He says, I want you to know that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is almost trying to say, are you really sure about this? Do you want to do this? How are you going to respond when things get tough, it's really neat, it's really fun to want to follow Jesus after you've seen all these miracles, but what happens at the end of the day when you have no place to sleep and no place to call home? How will you respond to Him? And then we have this one very odd statement made by Jesus. Another disciple is going to say, I'm going to follow you, but, but first... Permit me, let me go bury my father. And the very gentle, the very loving, the very empathetic Jesus says, Yeah, you want to know what? Let the the dead bury their own. Oh. What's going on here? That seems kind of callous, doesn't it? Does that fit in with the Jesus of John 11? There's Mary and Martha and they're weeping. And and Jesus sees their pain. He hurts with them and he weeps with them. Or, or the time that, that he sees this, this widow who's, who's uh, bearing her son. She's lost her husband. Now she's lost her only son. And Jesus, full of compassion, goes up to the woman, heals her son right there. Doesn't that seem to go a little bit against what's going on? Maybe Jesus is going somewhere with this. What happens when things don't go the way we want them to? Okay, it's time for the boat. We're going to join in here in Matthew uh, chapter eight, uh, starting in verse twenty-three. If you look previously back in verse not uh, eighteen, it's where he's going to see the crowds and he's going to say, "Let's cross over the other side." Now, hang with me here. This is also found uh, in two other places in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Mark chapter four and Luke chapter eight. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about them, but we're going to stick mainly to the text in Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to start uh, in verse 23. So the first thing is, then he got in the boat, and he went with his disciples and followed him. Now, I want you all to listen very closely. I'm counting on you to catch some things that are in here that you just have to think a little bit about. So I'm going to start over again, because I want you to hear this, because there's already a big thing that's about to happen in verse 23. Then he got into the boat. He got into the boat with them. Jesus got into the boat with the ones who he said, let's go to the other side. And then he what? He got into them. I just want to make sure you didn't miss that one. I'm just going to throw that out here. Just think about this. This is important. He got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now this is something that we know this story so well, though. We've heard it hundreds of times. If you're over the age of 25, you've seen it played out on the baby blue flannel graph in your Sunday morning class as a child. You remember the story. Of Jesus getting into the boat, and they're out of there, and then the waves go up and down. So where exactly are they? Can somebody tell me geographically what body of water they are on? The Sea of Galilee. Okay, so it's kind of confusing why they call it the Sea of Galilee. It's... um, it's really actually not that big not big enough to what we would consider being um uh, a sea it's only about 13 miles long and about eight miles wide i say that though we're in hobbs so if we have a puddle around we call that a lake uh, if you see a pool of water, that, that could be potentially the sea. So they're out here, and it's actually kind of uh, down in. It's 600 feet below sea level, and there's uh, mountains that are coming up around it. And so it literally, is, it can create, um, pardon the pun, the perfect storm. Uh, just because of the way that the wind will come through there. And, and that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about how quickly this storm came up. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this. You've heard others talk about this. But, but the word they use to describe this storm, uh, or uh, Luke translates it as a squall, okay? It's, it's the word seismos. It's, it's, it's the word that we get when we're talking about earthquakes uh, and how violent they are. How, what instrument do we use? A, a seismograph. Okay, so it's saying like this is a a huge storm. It's a big storm. It, it has come through. It's immediately happened. Like there's chaos everywhere. And G, where is Jesus? He's He's in the boat. He's in the boat. And so, like... Hopefully, any good preacher would do. I just have three points. And this is my first one. Let me ask just one more time. Where is Jesus? He's in the boat. I don't know why we have this, this broken theology that says that whenever we're with God, everything is always great. In fact, we had a conversation over Thanksgiving as we were talking with some of the kids and and one of the things is, does God want you to be happy? Is that God's ultimate goal? How exactly does that play out? Jesus has asked His disciples, I want you guys to get in the boat with me. He is there with them and with Jesus just feet away an earthquake of a storm hits the tiny boat that they're in, the presence of God and the love of God does not protect you from harm and disaster, from tragedy and from loss. And I think sometimes we think we're in a boat, and it's rocking back and forth, and things are going wrong, and our first thought is, God's not here. God can't be here. Because if God were here, bad things couldn't happen. And I think Matthew 8 reminds us that God allows us to go through difficult times. But, where is Jesus? He's in the boat. So let's continue on. Without warning, a furious storm, a squall, uh, a a seismos of a storm hits it. And the the waves are coming up over the boat. uh, And then they're going to, to wake him up. And I do think it's important, the words that they use. I love uh, how uh, Matthew says it. it. says, Lord. Okay, it's going to be translated in Luke as Master. So they're acknowledging the power of Jesus. And then they say what? Lord, what? Save us. Save us okay. What is the profession of many Of the people on that boat. What have they done for the large part of their life? Where have they lived? They've been fishermen. Doesn't this seem odd? They wake up the guy who's a carpenter. Jesus, grab your hammer. Get some nails. Let's fix this thing. I mean, it just—I'm so. Every time I think about this, I go back to the old, I know this is terrible, and I shouldn't even be talking about this. But I—it just my little brain just goes. Off. I always think of the A-team, and I can't figure it out. anybody remember the A-team with Hannibal and Face and Murdoch and, and B.A. Baracus? I believe it was. I pity the fool. I don't know how it happens. They get locked into a shed. And somehow they find a welder. Every time they find a welder and they will make a tank and they'll come out and they're like, they turn to Jesus. Like it's the A-team and it's like, build a boat to fix this. He's not a fisherman. He hasn't spent near the time out on the sea that they have. And yet they realize that he has something that they don't have. They call him Lord, they call him Master, and they say, do something, save us. And I love what Mark says. And it's painful to hear, but they say, teacher, don't you care? And I think this is another misconception that we have. That we may believe that God has the power, but maybe we question whether He has the desire. Don't, Don't you care? Can't you get us out of this? Well, we know you can get out, but don't you care enough that you're going to do something about this? And how many times after the phone call after the doctor visit, after being served the papers, that we turn to God and say, God, don't you care? And Jesus is going to respond. But before He does, He's going to ask a question. And Matthew is going to phrase it, "Oh, you of little faith, Why are you so afraid? But I love what Luke says in verse 25. He says, Where is your faith? And that's a question that really cuts down to the very bottom of it. Where is your faith? When things go wrong, where is your faith? Well, I can Google it. I can Web MD it. I can figure out what's going on. I can go to the Mayo Clinic. I can call my insurance. I can call my lawyer. They'll take care of this. I can check my insurance papers. I can go to my savings account. I can call my brother. He's going to know what to do. Where's your faith? When the storm hits, what are you going to do? Who who are you going to call? Where are you going to place your faith? Now here's what I think is so important. First, we realize that even in the storms of life, is that Jesus is there with us. He doesn't automatically take away all the storms, but He's in the boat. The second thing we have to remember is when we're faced with these difficult times that we have to remember that God does care. Even when he chooses to act differently than we would have him to choose. But the last part is this. They wake up Jesus. And do you notice that he's a little perturbed? But I want you to ask yourself the question, why? I think it comes down to something as simple as this. Jesus isn't upset that they bothered him. He is bothered that the storm upset them. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, why did you wake me up? He doesn't say, I'm I'm so mad at you, I, I was sleeping, you should have left me alone. When you have heartache, when you have tragedy, it's not that Jesus says, I don't want you to come talk to me. I'm too busy for this. Jesus is not upset that they came to him. He's only bothered that the storm had upset them. I would love to tell you that choosing to follow Jesus means that you're in a boat. No, no. Not, not a boat. Not, not, not a dinghy. A, a yacht. A cruise ship. Christianity is a cruise ship. And you're on the deck. Laying on the deck. With the, with the drink in your hand and life is good and nothing bad could happen. But that's not life. Jesus reminds the followers before that, we're going to follow you. And he says, but it's not going to be on a cruise ship. I just want you to know that. But you're going to be on that boat and you won't be alone because Jesus got in the boat with them just like he is with all of us. Through the storms, That we have. Jesus has the power and the desire to offer redemption to all of us. And third, that Jesus longs for us to call out to Him. To cry out to Him. Whether it's in praise or in thanksgiving or in heartache and lament Jesus doesn't say don't don't bother me now he says trust me we're about to enter or continue on into this holiday season and for some of you this is the time where you will feel like you are in a tiny boat tossed around you are jumping on the, the minnow and headed out with Gilligan And for some of you, it's going to be a rough month ahead. There will be the empty seat. There will be the phone calls that you won't get. The Christmas cards that you had every year that didn't show up this year. And there's going to be hurt. And I just want to remind all of you that even through the storms of life, Jesus is there with you. And He asks you, He begs you, call out to Him and trust in Him. This morning I want to extend that invitation to each one of you and I don't know what your response will be. Maybe your response is you want to come forward and you want to share with other people who are in the same boat. Maybe it just means that You want to rededicate your life. Maybe it means that starting today, you are going to call on God and not be afraid and just trust in Him. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning as we stand and sing.